Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, those of you joining us online, uh, welcome. I am assuming there's more of you online than usual because there's less of us in here than usual. But I got to tell you, for those of you who are here, way to go. I am so thankful that you are here. Um, you're awesome. You're awesome too, by the way, online. But those of you who came here in person, uh, you know, in kind of some, some trying times, thank you for that. Really encouraging. Um, actually, before I get started this morning, there's a couple things that I want to get off my chest. And I'm not sure this is the right place and the right time to do it, but I, I want to get it off my chest anyhow. There's some things that have been kind of bothering me. And maybe it's some of the same things that have been bothering some of you. I don't know. Martha and I have three kids. We've had them for like 30 years now. And I've got to be honest with you. I'm not sure I'm getting a great deal out of this. I'm not. I mean, the flow of resources from day one has pretty much been in one direction. Outward. I mean, I give, and I give, and I give some more, and I keep giving, and all three of my kids, they kind of take, 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 take. They, they, they've just, all their lives have been takers. In fact, from the very beginning, their delivery was incredibly hard on me. Yes, Martha played an important role, yes, but I was there, I was helping, I was encouraging, I was supporting. It was exhausting. And then ever since that day, we have poured just tons of emotion and time and energy and, yes, a lot of money into those three kids. And I'm not sure the return on investment's really there. It just isn't. Yeah, you know, I get a card on my birthday, and maybe I get a present during Christmas, but they're all still pretty much taking. You know, all their lives has been, for me, food, housing, Clothing, education. In fact, while I'm venting, let me just say this. I've been married for almost 39 years. I'm not sure I'm getting the best end of that stick either. Sometimes I'll help around the house without even being asked. I'll start the dishwasher without even being asked to. Every now and then I'll pick my clothes up off the floor and put them in the dirty clothes you know, basket. Sometimes I'll hang my towel up. I don't get a thank you. I don't get a card in the mail. Nobody gives me a shout out on social media. Look what my wonderful husband did. He started the dishwasher all by himself. I don't get any of that. I tell you, it's frustrating. It is really frustrating. Now I hope that when you heard me say those things... Martha, I hope when you heard me say those things, I hope you sort of cringed a little bit. I hope you heard that as really being awkward and uncomfortable. I don't want any guys thinking, yeah, you know, me too. No, no. No, that is not right. No, we all understand that is not how a family works. That is wrong on every level. Absolutely not. Now, if that's the way we view family, we got it all wrong. We understand that we can't look at our family in ways like a consumer looks at things. Like, what am I getting out of this? We understand that. And, and if that's how we view family, and what is, what, what's in it for me? We're always going to be frustrated. We're always going to be bitter. We're always going to be angry. And quite honestly, we're going to be 
pretty miserable people to be around, too. Well, family isn't something that we treat as a ledger sheet. We try to keep track of who's doing what and who's getting what. Family is something that you give yourself to. And we understand that. The gift really is in the giving. Now, with family, that return comes when you're not really expecting it. It kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? That little baby, the first time that they look into your eyes, you think, it is all worth it. He has me. When that little girl falls asleep on your shoulder, you wonder, how in the world can my life get any better than this? When that woman that you've been married to for years and years, you you look across the crowded room and you lock eyes with her and your heart just kind of aches with love and you ask yourself, what did I do to deserve this life that I've been given? It's the giving. It's in the giving that the gift comes. And that doesn't exactly make sense, but we all know it's true. And I'm convinced the older we live, the more clearly we understand that. It's in the giving that the gift comes. The joy really is in the journey. And the gift really is in the giving. Just a second ago, I had that 242 graphic up on the screen. It's a graphic that we have been using to remind us of sort of our our focus as a church family. In Acts 2.42, Luke, the writer, pulls the curtain back a little bit. And he gives us a glimpse of what, not just what those disciples, those first disciples were doing, but kind of what their daily life looked like. He gives us a little bit of glimpse of what those people did. Those, Those individuals, those men and women who'd made such a giant leap of faith and decided to become followers of Jesus. Now, they started acting like family. People who really shouldn't get along in any other context. People who had all kinds of reasons to, to butt heads. They start acting like family. That was the graphic. Here's the passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I talked about verse 42 for the last couple weeks, but of course Luke goes on. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was a group of people who didn't just start living differently. They started loving differently. Their focus changed. Their habits changed. Their hearts changed. They began treating each other like family. They shared their homes. They shared their food. They shared their possession. They got in the habit of saying, hey, do I have something that you can use? Hey, how can I use what I've been gifted? How can I use what I've been blessed with to help the group, to help other people? Because here's the deal. We've all been gifted by God. God has blessed all of us collectively, and He's blessed each of us individually. The book of 1 Corinthians, Paul makes a statement to those early Christians concerning spiritual gifts, and he says this in chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. 
And he goes on in that chapter, and he's going to talk about spiritual gifts. He says, let me tell you some things about spiritual gifts because I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to miss this. I, I don't want you to be oblivious to the fact that you have been given gifts from the Holy Spirit. And there are things that we need to identify. There are gifts that we need to cherish. Gifts that we need to use. For, for, for our benefit, but also for my benefit. To strengthen and encourage others, but also to strengthen and, and encourage myself. To be encouraged. Now for the rest of this message, I'm going to pretend that I am talking to people who don't know anything about spiritual gifts, which I'm not. And I'm going to pretend that I'm talking to people who really don't know anything about how life in the kingdom works, which I am not, but I'm going to pretend anyway. Because I sort of wonder, if the Apostle Paul were here today, and Paul were speaking instead of me, and he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about this, what might he share? What are those, some of those same things that Paul wouldn't want Bay Area to be ignorant about? So, here we go. First, don't be ignorant about the fact that God created you to serve. We have been created by God to serve. It's in our DNA. It's, it's our makeup. Uh, not, to, not to be served, but we have been created by God to serve. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know, there's a phrase that you hear a lot these days. Everybody has a bucket list, right? Now, I'm checking things off my bucket list. And for most people, the bucket list consists of expensive travel or kind of exotic experiences, those kind of things. The Apostle Paul had a bucket list or two as well. And they didn't involve travel. It didn't involve experiences. Paul's bucket list involved the gospel and connecting the gospel with people that he cared about. Paul would say this in Romans about the way the Holy Spirit empowers us to serve. He says this, But now we have been released from the law. Talking about the old law, what we call the Old Testament. We have been released from the law, for we died with Christ. And we're no longer captive to its power. Now we can really serve God. Not in the old way, by obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way, by the Spirit. Now we can really serve God. We can really serve others as well. Not by getting everything right, but by being empowered by the Holy Spirit. God has created us to serve, and then God has called us to serve. You've been called to serve. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, I've been created to serve, but uh, I really, do I have to do it? Yeah, we have been, we've been called to serve. Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. And now God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. Peter says you are God's holy priests. He's talking to Christians. Another passage says that we are a royal priesthood. I don't know what you think about when you think of a priest. 
I think probably for most of us, we think of the Catholic Church, because that's the, that's the culture that we're familiar with that involves priests. In ancient Israel, uh, the idea of priests, that, that culture was very different. Ancient Israel operated on kind of a two-track system, two lifestyles. There was a track for the priests, and there was a track for everybody else, all the normal people. And there was like a holy place where only a priest could go. There were some prayers that only a priest could pray. There was some food that only a priest could eat. There were sacrifices that only a priest could offer. There were clothes that only a priest could wear. There were jobs that only a priest could do. And then Jesus comes along and he, he, he changes everything. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, he's the ultimate sacrifice for all time. And you would think that what Jesus accomplished on the cross would, would forever do away with the priesthood, but it's just the opposite. Because now, all believers are priests. We're all priests. In other words, there's no more two-track system. There's no more professionals and amateurs. There's no more priests and everybody else. We're all priests. Now, in the churches of Christ, we don't use the term priest. We do use the term minister, though. I'm a minister. Says so on my business card. But guess what? So are you. You are all ministers. You need to get some cards made. You're ministers. You're priests. We're all priests. And, and I'll give you an analogy that's a little bit easier for us to understand, maybe. We're all supposed to be in the game. No football season's just starting. Yeah. Um, we're all supposed to be in the game. Nobody's supposed to be in the bleachers. We're all supposed to be involved. If we're a follower of Jesus, the, if the Holy Spirit is, is alive in us, which if, if we've been buried with Christ in baptism, He is, then we have been gifted, and those gifts are to be used. Which brings up my next point. God gifted you to serve. We have been gifted so that we can serve other people. I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 12 again. Verse 7. Paul wrote, A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. We've all been gifted in, for means of helping the entire church. And we probably ought to read the whole 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. It's a really powerful chapter. I said I was going to pretend that you didn't know anything about you know, the kingdom or, Holy, or uh, uh, gifts, but you, most of you, at least in here and probably out there, you know what 1 Corinthians 12 is about. Paul's going to go into great detail there. But he's kind of given a blueprint of how God planned for the church to work. It's to be led by people who have the spiritual gift of leadership. It's to be taught by people who have the spiritual gift of teaching. It's supposed to be hosted by people who have the spiritual gift of hospitality. It's supposed to be encouraged by people who have the spiritual gift of encouragement. And right on down the line he goes. And Paul makes it clear this isn't optional. God doesn't have a plan B for this thing. For us not to use the gifts that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, I think is to defy the Holy Spirit. And I think it's also to deny the the authority of Scripture. Because we're commanded to, to use the gifts that we have in service. And I think that's, that's one of the things that made that first century church so appealing and so exciting and so explosive. Everyone, rich, poor, 
slave, free, young, old, male, female. Everyone had a place. Everyone had a purpose. Everyone not just felt like, hey, I belong here, but everyone felt needed because everyone was needed. So God has created us to serve. He's called us to serve. He's gifted us to serve. And then don't be ignorant of the fact that God changes you when you serve. When you serve someone else, something happens. God changes you when you serve. Paul wrote to some Christians living in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. By the way, Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a place where status and power were really important to those people. It was really important to those people how they were perceived, how they were viewed, uh, where their place was, kind of in the pecking order of things. Think of anywhere on the world stage right now that that's kind of the same. Some place like maybe central Florida, America. Yeah. So Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility is one of those characteristics that comes through the Holy Spirit. We can't will ourselves to be humble. We can't say, look how humble I am today. I'm just going to make myself be humble today. It doesn't work that way. We're certainly not encouraged in our culture to be humble. Humility is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of surrender, of servanthood. Maybe you've heard of a woman named Indra Nooyi, and I might be butchering her last name, N-O-O-Y-I, Indra Nooyi. She uh, was born into a culture that sort of uh, wasn't very inclusive when it came to women reaching their full potential. But she had a unique mother. And every evening, Indra's mother made her and her sister write a short speech about why they should be voted ruler of the world. And then her mother would read the, the speech of both of these little girls... And based on that speech, she would vote for who did the best job and who she would vote for as ruler of the world for a day. And then she actually had a little contract that she gave the girls and a place for them to sign that they were accepting responsibility to be ruler of the world for the day. So Indra grew up believing she could do great things. And she did. One day, she became the CEO of PepsiCo for 12 years She was the CEO of the Pepsi Corporation. In fact, in 2017, uh, the Forbes uh, Forbes list of the most influential businesswomen in the world, Indra Nooyi was number two on that list. So she ran in a very fast lane, quite quite an achiever. Um, The day she was named CEO of Pepsi, she tells the story of, of rushing home to tell her mother, who just happened to be visiting her from India, uh, that week. And she rushed into the house and said, Mom, I've got big news, great news I've got to share with you. And I said, Stop. Before you say a word, there's no milk in the house. You need to go to the store and buy some milk. But, Mom, this is really big. It's really happening. Stop. We're out of milk. Go to the store and get some milk. So Indra turned around, 
left home, drove to the store, got milk, but she was fuming. She came home, she put the milk on the counter and said, there's your milk. And her mother said, now what was your news? Well, it just so happened that I was named CEO of Pepsi today. And I was so excited. And I was so anxious to share this great news with you. But no, the house is out of milk. Somebody's got to go get milk. You didn't even want to hear my good news. And it's interesting as Indra tells this story on herself and kind of her her learning curve, she says this. This is what my mother told me. When you come home, you are a mother, a wife, and a daughter. Just like when your husband comes home, he is a father, a husband, and a son. No one can take that job from you. And then she said something that Indra said has stuck with me my entire life. My mom looked at me and she said, Indra, you need to leave your crown in the garage. Whoa. (laughs) That's pretty harsh, isn't it? You need to leave your crown in the garage. And yet this very successful woman said, you know what? That statement by my mother has stuck with me the rest of my life. Sometimes we need to leave our crown in the garage. Paul said basically the same thing to the church in Philippi. He said Jesus did not regard equality with, with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus didn't, didn't uh, uh, regard his equality, his, his, his position, a thing to be grasped, a thing to be used for his own status. But he emptied himself, he humbled himself. And became obedient to death, even death on the cross. You know, Paul says, Jesus left his crown in the garage. He actually left it in heaven. But he left his crown. He got the milk. When you serve other people, God changes you. He just does. You know, we kind of hope, well, God will change the person I'm serving. Maybe, maybe not. But God changes you when you serve. Those qualities like compassion and patience, empathy, kindness, gentleness. God allows those kind of things to grow in our heart. The Holy Spirit allows those things to grow in our hearts. And I guarantee if you know someone, if you can think of someone right now, you say, that person is just so kind and and so compassionate. They're so gentle. I will guarantee they're a servant. Those are the kind of people who serve. Which leads me to my next point. God uses you when you serve. I mentioned in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that, that famous uh, chapter about uh, the body and the, the church. Paul actually compares a human body to the church. And he says in chapter 12, verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. And, of course, Paul goes on to share the implications of that reality. But we all understand what he's saying, right? Paul is a great writer. And what he's saying is one part of our human body suffers. We all suffer. And we understand that. No one ever says, my tooth is killing me, but my hand feels great. No, if one part of the body suffers, we all suffer. You can say, well, my my head feels great, my ears are great, my hands are great. Well, if there's a problem with the feet, you're not going anywhere, are you? 
as well as we know this chapter, have you ever stopped to think what part of the body you are? Have you ever asked yourself, what part of the body am I? You know, Paul says we all got a place in this thing. You ever had that conversation around dinner table with your family? What part of the body are we? Maybe you're an ear. Maybe you're just a great listener. And I'll tell you, we've got some great listeners here at Bay Area. Maybe you're a spine. Maybe you have courage. We've got some people with some courage here as well. Maybe your hand. Maybe your foot. Maybe your heart. I'll tell you what you're not. I don't know what you are, but I'll tell you what you're not. What do we call an organism that attaches itself to the body, that lives off the body, that draws nourishment from the body, that draws resources from the body, but doesn't contribute a single thing to the body? What do we call that? A parasite. Very good. Let me tell you what you're not. Nowhere in Scripture have we been called to be a parasite. There's nowhere in Scripture where Paul says, you need to just draw nourishment from the body without ever returning anything. We're never called to be parasitic in our relationships. We're the body of Christ. And there's no useless parts, which means there's no useless people. When people with the gifts of help aren't helping, and the gifts of encouragement aren't encouraging, and when shepherds don't shepherd, and when prayers don't pray, and when singers don't sing, and when greeters don't greet, and when givers don't give, and... When people with the gift of hospitality don't hospitalize, um, the church doesn't work. It just doesn't work. God wants to use you in service. We need to be serving. And the truth is, you need to be serving. We grow when we serve. And then one last, last reality when it comes to using our gifts of service, God is going to reward you when you serve. You're going to be rewarded by God when you serve. You know, if you ever feel like you're worn out, burned out, kind of lost your step, a little bit frustrated, these words from Paul are are for you, Galatians chapter 6. So don't get tired of doing what's good. Don't get discouraged and don't give up, for we will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. Whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to our Christian brothers and sisters. I love that phrase. We will reap a harvest of blessing at the appropriate time. A harvest of blessing. Most of you know, I grew up on a farm. When it was harvest time, we didn't harvest with buckets. We harvested with tractor trailers and dump trucks. We harvested tractor-trailer load after tractor-trailer load of cabbage and potatoes. Dump truck after dump truck after dump truck of corn and oats. As a kid, I remember times when I was buried in potatoes, or I was buried in corn. Paul says, you are going to reap a harvest of blessings at the appropriate time. You are going to be buried in blessings Because of your acts of service. Now, I'm not sure if this is true of anybody else here, but I'll make a confession. Sometimes I do things, and I really hope someone notices that I did it. 
In fact, sometimes I do things and it's like, I don't think anybody noticed that, so I need to somehow bring attention to the fact that I just served someone. In fact, the person I serve sometimes doesn't even know that I served them. And I was like, okay, I feel like you should know this. I feel like maybe I should get some kind of recognition here. Last month, Martha was out of town for a couple weeks. When she came back, the first night we crawled in bed, I looked over and I said, well, do you notice anything different? She looked at me and she looked around the room and said, no. What? And I'm like, you don't notice anything? No. I had a big smile on my face. Clean sheets. <laughs> the sheets are clean. While you were gone, I, I, I took the sheets off the bed. I washed them. I dried them. I put the sheets back on the bed because I know how much you love crawling in bed with clean sheets. I did it just for you. She said, thank you, gave me a little kiss, went back to reading her book. And I had a big smile on my face. I said, you're welcome. This is great. That's all I needed. And then it occurred to me, she changes the sheets on our bed every week. And I don't think I've ever told her, thank you for changing the sheets on the bed. But I wanted her to know. Listen, no matter who on this earth, no matter what they see or don't see, no matter what they applaud or don't applaud, that harvest of blessing is coming. At the appropriate time, God is going to reward your service. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to be doers of the word, not just hearers. I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact that God created you to serve, that God called you to serve, that God gifted you to serve, that God changes you when you serve, that God uses you when you serve, and that God rewards you when you serve. Anyone want to guess what the challenge of today's lesson is? Like a wild stab. Serve someone. Go out and do something for someone else. Find your spot in the body of Christ. The challenge is to get in the game. The challenge is to be a doer, not just a hearer. Hey, if you claim to follow Jesus, if you've received forgiveness of your sins because of his death on the cross, if if you've claimed Jesus as the Lord of your life, If you claim God's family is your forever family, if you claim that confidence in the life that we're living and that hope for the life to come, and you're not using your gift that God has given you, something's wrong. Something is wrong. We need to leave our crown in the garage. We need to go get the milk. You know, a long time ago, Jesus told us what uh, the kingdom was going to look like and what the kingdom should should look like. And he said, you want to be great? Serve someone. So, here's my challenge. Let's be great. Let's just be great. Let's serve someone. Ron's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement uh, this morning. Got something on your heart that you just need to share with your church family. If you're watching online, there will be a, a, a way for you to get in touch with us as well. But uh, if we can help you in somehow, if we can serve you, pray with you, let us know. Let's be standing while we sing.